you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Welcome, everyone, to the Chasing Giants podcast with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don, it is October 2nd. Opening weekends happened in October in Illinois and many other states. Uh, we have a very interesting show, as I think most people probably tuning in today would be expecting us to dive into opening weekend of hunting. Uh, but we have a great segment with you and Jay Gingrich talking about planting trees in the fall. And it's a struggle that I've had over the years of wanting to improve my habitat, but worried about the intrusion and the hunting property. We're going to dive into that in a great segment a little bit later. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, how both of us had pretty frustrating weeks on different for different reasons. It, it, um, it hasn't been easy, and I don't think people really understand. Uh, they, say, they say don't uh, worry about it, but it's hard. Yeah, well, it, it's opening weekend, and and I haven't even set the tree yet. Um, I've had a pretty frustrating week, but uh, you did too. On another note, uh, I'll let you go first because uh, you should have a buck on the ground. I should have a buck on the ground, people. If if anybody thinks that we're trying to hide the honest, brutal truth, uh, you're wrong. Uh, I had an unbelievable week of hunting, uh, two sets and had my target buck within bow range twice uh i was actually texting i forget was it was it just you and Dwayne? i think maybe or you Dwayne and wes um i had perfect wind earlier this week and the bucks with this temperature drop i don't know if you've seen it with your cell camera data or not don but the scrape activity is really really picked up and uh i was really disappointed when my target buck came out almost 300 yards away but he started working a scrape line coming to me and i have one rope scrape that's been on this farm for about five years and every deer on the farm hits this rope scrape and it was on the other side of me and he starts gradually working this rope scrape and i'm up in a a, i'm I'm in a in a stand and it just took him too long it was i couldn't see my sight pins on my bow uh by the time he passed so obviously didn't shoot so it's pretty bummed that night well where he came out and hit the first scrape on that scrape line i had the perfect wind to hunt on that tree line the following night and uh let's just say i screwed up um i'm not ashamed to admit it but you know, I'm I'm still getting back into the uh, to the routine and habit of hunting with a compound after using a crossbow for a few years. And uh, he didn't come from my right to left. He came straight at me. And when he went down through a little swell, I should have stood up when he couldn't see me. And I stayed sitting down and he didn't come to my left. He came to my right, locked up, 
was underneath of me and uh, just flat out couldn't shoot over my right shoulder. If I would have been standing up, he would be dead. But uh, by the time I could get moved around to where I could get my bow up and over on my right side, he was literally walking straight away from me. Not spooked, not anything, just walking right out of my life again. So I was pretty devastated this week because it was complete 100% operator error. (laughs) <laughs> well you're doing something right because you're getting him in range so um well, and you're not spooking him so your 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 odds are still pretty good if i've uh, done my job shifts. yeah i've done my job with the habitat and the farm now i did i will say this will not happen to me again because that stand will either be moved slightly or there will be some type of obstacle to keep him off my right side next year I can promise you that there'll either be a short section of fence, a down tree, something is going to change where he's going to be on my left side. Um, and it might just be as simple as stand placement and angle. Um, but, um, you know, it's just, it's constantly learning. I'm not hiding anything. I don't want to be anybody in this industry and don't care to be. Um, I think I can just relate with a lot of hunters that put so much time and effort into chasing these critters that, you got to learn too. And I, I still do not have it all figured out, but it's pretty demoralizing when you have him at at 16 yards broadside, um, over your right knee and have no way of pulling back on him. So I will not do that again. Well, we all make mistakes. We're all still learning. And, uh, you know, the fact that you've got a plan to change things so that it doesn't happen again, it's when you keep making the same mistake year after year after year that uh, you, you you never improve as a bow hunter. Um, you know, I try to minimize my mistakes, learn from past mistakes, and and learn from past successes as well. And that's how we get better. Yeah, and, and the, my problem, my biggest, so what's the big deal? I didn't bump him. Uh, he walked straight away from me. Didn't know I was there. I got out. Um the, the the weird thing, though, is I've hunted, I believe, seven or eight sits. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. And every single hunt, I could have killed a buck over five years old. And my worry is, is how long am I going to keep three, five and a half or older bucks on this small of a property? Something's got to give there. And I'm my biggest fear is I had my chance. Am I going to get another not because I haven't done the work on the habitat. It's just, is he going to shift and get out of there? And I'll be honest with you. It, I thought long and hard about this. It's like, if, if he ends up leaving and one of those other two five-year-olds are there, I'm still not going to shoot him. This is the only deer that I'm going to take opening day. And he's the only deer I'm going to take the last day of the season. So, um, the reality this week set in that, um, hopefully I get another shot. I got a northeast wind tonight and tomorrow night, so I can't hunt. I got to go to New York this week and won't be back. Probably hunting Illinois the following next weekend. My chances of probably shooting this deer are getting smaller and smaller, and that's okay. I'm not going to compromise what I'm doing here either. Well, you know, you've got a goal and you're sticking to it, and that's what we always preach. If you want to become a a better whitetail hunter and you want to kill bigger bucks, you, you got to stick to your goals instead of compromising your goals. And that some years that's going to mean, you know, eating a tag. And if it happens, it happens, but you know what? The odds are that buck's going to survive. He's already mature. He's already, what, is he five and a half? 
Yeah, he, I, I got, I know for a fact he's five and a half. So we have quite a bit of history. So the likelihood he gets to six and a half, I don't know. We're a rifle state, so um, anything could happen. But um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, at this point, if, if he was, if he was a, uh, if he was a booner, <laughs> it would be tearing me up a whole lot more. But. Uh, he's a good one, mid one fifty class buck, and great buck for Kentucky. Mature the that he's the one I want to shoot. So um, yeah, and and it, I will be taking other people on my farm hunting this year. And if if the other two bucks uh, show up, I hope that somebody kills them, and it's the buck of their buck of their dreams. So, uh, but just not what I have my standards set to. So, pretty disappointing from my part because um, it was my fault. Um, for all of those people who think that Don and I put ourselves on a pedestal and, you know, talk down to people, I'm, I'm being very brutally honest with you people. I'm living the same thing you guys do. So mm-hmm. operator error in my case this week. Uh, but at least no one, uh, no one personally attacked or went after me like they did you. So I guess, <laughs> I guess in some cases I'm in better shape. Well, I had a pretty rough week and, uh people that uh, are on social media got to see a little bit of that but i had four different negative incidents this week involving other deer hunters and in every case it was a deer hunter that i don't know i've never met but uh it seems like uh, if people think that it's tough to kill a deer on a mature deer either on public or private um, if you don't own the ground try doing it in my shoes because i'm telling you every place that i go hunting i draw attention and i'm not saying that bragging or boastful in any way whatsoever but i'm telling you people do not like me in their hunting area they just got this idea that if i show up i'm going to kill the biggest deer there and they make accusations to get me kicked off of properties. I had an, a false accusation made against me um, to law enforcement this week. I spent uh, some time with a conservation officer clearing the air on a situation. And, and for the record, I called him and met with him. I told him, I want to look you in the eye. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going down here. Um, just and i'm not going to get into detail about all four situations all four situations were completely different totally different people not connected in any way but it was just one thing after another and you know the one day my phone just exploded it's like all these people are sending me links to this certain podcast and saying man this guy is just bashing you right and left on this podcast you need to check it out and i was i think it was the day i was i was planting trees at home and you know, when I go on my property this time of the year to do a project, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to get it done. I'm not going to sit out there and talk on my phone. So I had my phone in my pocket and it was just buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. And I finally got done and got back to the house and I looked at it and all these people were sending me links to this podcast. And, and this guy was raking me over the coals, a guy I've never met in my life, guy I've never had a exchanged a single um, word with. Um, no idea why he has such a personal vendetta against me, but, uh, anyway, um, that was one incident and, but, you know, I want to share a story with the listeners because it all came, um, kind of full circle later in the week. 
I got a call from a good friend of mine, Steve Blackmire. And if Steve Blackmire's name sounds familiar um, to any of the listeners, he is featured in my book, Real World Whitetail Icons. Steve wrote two or three chapters in that book. And uh, to describe Steve, I, I'm telling you, I, I know we're all sinners. We all have got our faults. But if there was, if I ever met a perfect man in my life, it's Steve Lackmeyer. The man has not a bad word to say about anything, about any situation. Um, He's the most courteous, well-mannered, respectful man to every single person he comes in contact with. Um, You don't doubt at any point that the guy's a Christian, and yet he's not beating you over the head with scripture. He just lives it. And he calls me because he's seen uh, he's seen that I was taking some heat on social media and he called to encourage me. And he shared some things that have happened in his life in recent years. I hadn't talked to Steve in probably two years, maybe a little bit longer. But uh, so he he uh, he kind of reminds me of Job in the Bible. You know how Job was really tested. Uh, the devil tested Job and and. Steve has undergone the same thing, and he shared with me that he comes from a small town of about 6,000 people, Robinson, Illinois, and Steve had a dream of of building a church that would hold 1,000 people, and uh, he went to the church board, his his church, and, you know, he shared that dream, and and he wanted to make it a reality, so they did. They built a church that uh, held 1,000 people, and in a town of 6,000 people, on more than one occasion, they've had over a thousand people in their church for a service. Um, but he told me, he said, the price I paid was pr- pretty steep because the devil came after me hard when I did that. And it started, uh, Steve had a logging business and uh, had a young man that was working for him. It was, Steve was kind of mentoring this young man, taking him under his wing. And and uh, this young man was actually killed on the job. Uh, a tree fell on him and killed him. That tree fell on this young man and killed him the week he was going to get married. On that Saturday, this young man was getting married and he was killed. And I mean, just devastated Steve. Um, after that happened, uh, the business fell apart because the other help, you know, their wives got scared and made them quit their job and uh, do something else. And then a short time later, uh, Steve's wife um, had early onset Alzheimer's. She was in her fifties and she passed away. And then, uh, not long after that, um, his daughter passed away. She was, I'm, I'm just going to guess she was around 40 years old. She had a son that was a senior in high school at the time. And, uh, Steve told me, he said, the devil was coming after me hard. But when, when I lost my daughter, that was just about the breaking point. And, uh, Oh, he also, he, he got involved in a, a business deal, um, putting in underground cable, had five crews going around, putting in underground cable and, uh, just lost his shirt on that whole deal. The, the company he got involved with, uh, uh just kind of milked him dry. It, it, he had to sell his hunting land, um, every, everything he owned just, just financially ruined him. Um, here, here's a man that lost, and, and he's got a, a son. A son has been uh, in a wheelchair his entire life, and uh, the son has some serious health issues right now. 
And, and so here's a man who lost his wife. He lost his daughter. His son is, is in a wheelchair with very serious health issues. A young man that he was mentoring was killed on the job working for Steve because this man had a dream of building a church that held a thousand people. And after talking to Steve, I mean, I'm thinking about my own situation with the, the personal attacks that, that I take on social media and, you know, from people that, that just don't understand uh, my true story. They think that I, I, I was born rich and I've got all kinds of hundreds of acres of ground to hunt and uh, that things just come easy for me, um, as well as other assumptions people have made that just simply are not accurate. But after talking to Steve, it, it all brought it back into perspective that I, I'm extremely blessed. And, you know, I kind of, uh, well, you and I, um, you know, had some correspondence after the incident on the podcast uh, where the guy was bashing me and it really gave me a, a chance to reflect on, on what kind of message I want to be sending to people and uh, how, you know, we, we've already made a decision that we're going to use this podcast to represent the hunting community, uh, not the hunting industry. Um, we're going to be brutally honest. We're going to tell it like it is. and. Uh, I'm telling you, Friday was the eve of our opening day. Opening day was Saturday and Friday. I was probably, I've never, in all my life, I've never had a, a, a opening day eve where I felt so down as I did this year. I mean, I was in the dumps. I was, I had a negative attitude. I was, I'd just been through four different incidents this week with deer hunters that I don't even know um, coming at me in, in, in various ways. And, but after talking to Steve, I realized how blessed I am. And, uh, you know, you kind of kept the wheels on the bus too, Terry, because in past years, I would have probably flown off the handle <laughs> and, uh, you've done a really good job on more than one occasion, keeping me focused on the big picture. And, you know, what really bothers me the most is I've never tried to make myself out as better than anyone. I, I, I don't look down on anyone whatsoever and people want to paint me as some arrogant jerk that's born with a silver spoon and has all these advantages is the only reason that I'm killing big deer. And when I talked to Steve, it just brought it all in perspective. That ain't really a big deal at all. Um, I need to keep my eye on the bigger picture. Uh, focused on the prize and, and I, I really appreciate your friendship Terry because you help keep the wheels on the bus this week more than you know um, um, our circle is very small when people really know it and um, the people that we have in our life I think is a God put the right people in our lives for multiple reasons at the right time and I, I have no doubt that attacks and stuff like this are going to continue to happen when we're trying to glorify God and, and do good with other people and be blessings to other people. We're going to try to even get, I, we probably haven't even seen the worst of it yet. Um, what, what people, people don't understand two things. Number one, uh, we, well, I guess it's more than two things. The amount of support after we, you made the statement, kind of strategized a little bit together on what to say in that and uh the amount of overall support that we have 
far, far outweighs any criticism or anything we get. So that that support means more than what anybody just liking a post or, or the, the, the positive words back. Um, and we appreciate what everybody says. Don't worry about it. But people don't understand that what we're trying to do with this platform to help people, um, you know, it's... <laughs> We we both have to have other revenue streams. This is not how we're how we're paying the 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 mortgage payment, if you will. But what we sacrifice in doing this, just like you said, if you weren't public figure, no one would even know you were where you were at. Made the accusations that you had to deal with the game warding and and all this other stuff. It it handcuffs us so much about what we're really doing in the woods because we don't have the big ranches that have, you know, 3000 acres where we can basically just hide on our own property. We're, we're just like everybody else going out, mostly hunting permission properties. And because we're on here, then we're well known. We have to kind of be strategic in what we say. So we don't give too much away, but then we see our truck driving down the road. Then it, it, it's really hard. People don't understand that. And I appreciate when somebody says to you, you shouldn't worry about what people say. You guys aren't the ones putting your life out in the public view, trying to do it for the greater good and then get attacked. And and I hear what you're saying. It's just, I'm telling you, it's harder than what people say it is when they say, don't worry about it. It's, it, it's, it's hard. You, you, you're, you've put yourself in a very vulnerable position uh, with really good intentions, and it it really hurts when you get attacked. Well, the, the worst part for me is that people spread false information about it. it's not even true. So someone makes up their mind about me. They they come up with their opinion of me based on information that's not even true. And you're right. We we shouldn't worry about it. But I'm telling you, it's. <laughs> When you're being judged by something that's not even true, it, it's hard not to get fired up. Well, we're not going to take a lot of time on the podcast, and I know there'll be even people comment down below on this that we don't worry about it. Quit taking up time. Let's talk deer hunting. We got Jay Gingrich's segment on deck, uh, and we do, but we feel that we owe an explanation to people about why things are done the way they are. And, uh, the reason we made the statement on Don's social media is, is we got between Don and I got over 1000 messages. I counted it up. I had over 700 on my social media alone over 700 and it wasn't even about me. It's just people are sending it to me cause they don't want to bother you and saying, well, what? So it was just getting overwhelming. We, we wanted to take a quick break. Um, you know, pray about it think about it, um, try to do the right thing. And obviously based on the feedback that we got, um, I think everybody appreciated that. Now saying that we are going to be committed again to serving the hunting community and not the hunting industry. So we also ask for your respect when we make a decision that if these other platforms out there uh, continue to try to just create drama amongst the hunting community for the sake of clickbait, we're also going to separate ourselves away from that. That's not who we're going to be. So, you know, Don and I have been on a lot of different podcasts trying to help the community. 
you know, and, and sharing you. I, I can't even say how many podcasts you've been on besides this one doing free interviews for people and then promoting their, their brand. Um, I think the lesson for us to learn now is we're going to be really careful because if, if someone's not trying to do good for the community and trying to add division for the sake of creating drama, which all that, this is all that was, uh, we're going to separate ourselves away from it. We hold ourselves to a higher standard uh, than that. Um, it was a little bit humbling for us being on this side of it that we need to learn from it because we're not we're not saying we're perfect. We've thrown little digs into <laughs> things on this <laughs> podcast to get under people's skin, but never personally attacked anybody. So it is what it is. Um, we just um, I guess the takeaway from it is we're still learning. We're trying to stay humble. We're trying to be real. We, I just admitted I screwed up on a buck. Don, we're being overly transparent, and uh, we can't do this without you guys. Um, we really appreciate the support. So let's take a quick break from Osseo, and uh, we'll come back with a great segment learning about trees and that delicate balance of hunting season starting and the best time to plant fruit trees and uh, habitat trees for your property. So stay tuned. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, well, welcome back, uh, Don. We're going to switch. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a way to get Jay on camera tonight. So for the people listening on MTech and the call-in services, you're not going to notice any different when we patch um, Jay Gingerchin. But for the folks that are um, watching on YouTube, we're going to splice in a couple pictures. Don, you were just at his place because you went and picked up trees for your property uh, we're going to put his contact information and some still photography up as we play this segment uh, with Jay Gingrich about planting trees in the fall. I think you're going to like it and find it extremely informative. Well, welcome everyone to the segment of the Chasing Giants podcast with Jay Gingrich from Gingrich Chief Farms. I have him and Don on the line. Jay, welcome to the podcast. This is your first uh, appearance on this. It is, Terry. Hey, thanks to you and Don for having me on. For those of you who have been to some master classes, uh, Jay has come over. Uh, he lives close to Don, goes to church with Don, so he's he's no stranger to the uh, master class when we do podcasts over there. So some of you who have been there have met him, but as far as being on the live episode, we're happy to have you. And most people are going to think Oct or October 2nd we're going to be talking about deer hunting, but this is something I've really struggled with personally with my habitat development, and I'm excited about this dialogue tonight because really when we when we boil it down, Don, I want you to, to say a few words on the best time to plant trees is really in the fall, and how does that relate to we're getting ready to hunt? Well, without a doubt, fall is the best time to plant trees, and you know, the reason for it is that tree is going dormant when you plant it. Um, for the winter, but a, a tree's roots can still grow even when that tree is dormant. So 
get that tree planted and, and those roots will grow and, until the ground temperature gets below about 35 degrees. It just gives it that tree a big jump start over a spring planting. Um, as far as tying it into hunting season, um, I actually went to Gingrich Tree Farm this week and, and picked up a load of trees that I planted on my farm. And the reason that I was willing to do that, first of all, is I don't have a shooter buck here this year. So I'm not a bit worried about spooking the deer or anything like that. But with that said, I, I was prepared and I went in and got about, uh, oh, I think I planted about 80 trees. Uh, on this place and, and I did it in half a day so I didn't drag it on for two days or three days I got in got the work done and got out and now I'm, I'm out for the rest of the season but uh, you know it just depends on your individual situation and, and if it fits you know if maybe you just bought a new property and, and the habitat's not up to par and it's more important to get that habitat work done and get the farm you know up to up to snuff then you might consider doing a fall tree planting because it's absolutely the best time to plant trees. So, you know, we look at anything we do, Jay, as an investment and we need a return on that investment. Um, from your experience, you, you plant trees, you know, throughout the year with, and, and along with other services that we'll talk about later. But, um, do you truly see a, a better survival rate when you're planting that tree before the dormant season versus as it's coming out, trying to bloom, and then you're putting the stress of that root ball down into the ground, moving it around? Well, as Don stated, you know, fall, uh, that's definitely the best time. I mean, springtime, you put it in the ground, and if you don't get any rainfall, it's a struggle, like here in central Illinois this year. We had a six-week stretch where we didn't get any rain. We lost a lot of trees. So fall is definitely the best time to plant. Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we talk about um, intrusion, and I think Don hit the nail on the head. His Don, you said your home farm this year, it just aligned right. I don't think you would have been doing a big tree planting the year you had Mel running around, right? I mean, you you have oh, you have not. <laughs> you have to make decisions based on what's going on. Um, but you know, for the most part, too, we're not planting trees in the middle of the sanctuary either. So you know, it's it's like other work, and I like the phrase that you just said: is that you go in and get it done. It's not a three four week project, Jay. When you guys, you got a pretty big team of people, so I know you're going to be traveling very close to my house if you haven't already this fall for uh, one of the listener on the podcast farm, I believe, to plant some trees. How does your team attack that? Trying to be sensitive of the hunter that's still trying to you know, be able to hunt that property in the fall and not cause too much damage. Do you fly in and get it done? What techniques do you use? What equipment is, is vital? Uh, we do. We try not to spend a lot of extra time there. We, you know, we have a skid loader, side-by-side, uh, -side, things like that to haul the trees in. When you're on equipment, you're obviously not going to cause a whole lot of disturbance, but obviously planting trees, you know, we'll be off and doing things, but, you know, on let's say a hundred apple tree job, you know, we might be there a day and a half at the most. Yeah. Usually we try to get in and out in the day's time. Yeah. And, and like anything else, I mean, the alfalfa was cut on my property yesterday. So, um, you know, that's obviously intrusion. That's, um, you know, pressure that you're giving the property, but Don, I think there's a difference in going in with a piece of equipment and, you know, 
running trees out, drilling them, um, drilling a hole, putting them in, backfilling it, then somebody stomping around, walking through the sanctuary, looking for dead deer along a creek bank or around a pond, right? Yeah, I mean, at this time of the year, the farmers are in the field. Um, those deer hear equipment and see equipment every day. Um, so, you know, a guy on a skid loader digging holes to plant trees is not that big a deal. And especially if, if it's a one-day deal and he's gone. So, uh, in fact, the deer are kind of curious. I know this week when I planted the trees on my farm, I had a uh, trail camera probably about no more than 100 yards, probably between 50 and 100 yards from where I was planting these trees. And within two hours of me being done, it was a cell camera. Within two hours of me being done, I was getting pictures right there at that camera right where I was at. It was almost like the deer were curious, and they came over to see uh, what I was doing. Well, it, it's important for us to, to go into that dialogue because people that listen to this podcast take us so literally that, you know, you can't step foot on your property. There is things that we have to do on our property, whether it's mowing or maintenance or, in this case, it's the constant pressure. It's surprising deer, you know, walking up on them while they're bedding, going through your habitat. Um, planting trees is a much different uh, activity than you know, going in and doing TSI through the middle of your sanctuary, which you won't do unless it's you know February, right? That's correct. Yeah, something else I'll throw out there, Terry, is that when I had a tree business, you know, several years ago, I probably planted more trees in the month of December than any other month. And so, you know, guys can wait till the rut's over, and if the ground's not froze, you can still get in there. And, and get some work done before winter sets in. And um, the thing that you need to do, though, is you need to secure those trees ahead of time because a lot of nurseries will um, they'll prepare for the winter. They'll lay those potted trees over and cover them with plastic for the winter. So, you know, you can get your trees now and uh, have a place to store them. And then uh, as soon as the rut's over, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever, get in there and get them planted later in the fall. Well, I think that's a great segue into the next topic. I wanted to bounce ideas off of both of you. Um, and, and we have to be careful because this podcast has, has listeners all over the country. So we want to make sure we throw caveats out there for the people live, listening in South Georgia and the people listening in, in northern Minnesota. But, Don, you, you talked and did a, uh, a really good video on your top uh, trees and the worst trees that get kind of overhyped. Um, Jay, I'll ask you to talk about it. From someone that's wanting to manage for wildlife, what is kind of the go-to um, or most popular type of tree that people are trying to put out there? Well, from my perspective, uh, cedar trees and oak trees, you know, for bedding cover, thermal cover, and then you move into, you know, chestnuts, persimmons, uh, trees like that that people really like. Uh, apple trees, we've been putting in a lot of apple and pear trees. Just uh, adds another old element to their food source for the deer. Don, as far as we talk about food plot diversity, how important is diversity? If I want to say I have a spot that's, um, either a, a strip that I want to put trees in or say I have a, a spot that's um, I want to make a tree stand a better location. Is diversity better to where I have different types of trees in that little mini orchard or should I just go with all the same kind? What's some tips there as far as choosing the species of trees? 
Well, what I like to do if I'm trying to enhance the stand side is is I'm not planting a, a giant orchard a lot of times. I just plant three or four. And when I'm doing that, I want to stick with the same species, but uh, different varieties of species. So if you're planting apple trees, plant three or four different apple trees. It'll help with pollination as those different uh, varieties cross-pollinate each other. But then the, you know, I may move across the farm, and the next spot I'm planting chestnuts. Uh, there's not any diversity there, but uh, as well as persimmons. But uh, you can plant pears, have different varieties of pears. Um, but another thing I really like to do is on my food plots, I like to, along the edge of the food plot, plant a row of, of mass-bearing trees. It just adds drawing power to that plot because besides whatever you're growing in that plot, you've got those fruit trees around the edge to you know, just add to the pulling power. Now, Jay, I'm not a tree expert by any means. I still have a lot to learn when it comes to this, but if you if you Don mentioned different varieties of like an apple trees or pear trees or something like that, um, does does putting diversity also give you more chances to uh, combat with say you get a disease on a tree? Does is different div- varieties there? If something were to move in, you had all the same varieties, you could lose everything. If something happened with a variety, it looks like that you could have a better chance if something happened to minimize the damage. Uh, that's absolutely correct. You know, uh, let's say you have a bad scab year. I know in Ohio this year they did, and a lot of that you know has to do with the wet weather. So if you have a couple varieties that are not very disease resistant as far as scab goes, that will you know lessen your production. So we always go in and try to you know put a mixture in. I was checking my website or my list earlier. You know we've got about eight different varieties that we have to offer. So it is definitely the best. To, put some different ones in so if one variety happens to be struggling that year the other one's still kind of produce it's it's very similar don to what we say about soybeans yeah and you know the other thing is different varieties have different ripening dates so if you just stuck with one variety all those apples would come ripe at once and drop at once and it'd be over but you can really extend that window when that crop is available by um, diversifying the varieties that you add to your planning. All right. Well, I, I don't want to take a lot of time getting into, you know, the best variety versus the worst variety and stuff. I think um, it's probably better suited for our listeners to go to the Chasing Giants YouTube channel and search for uh, Don's two different tree videos. Um, that goes into a lot of detail about specifics, but let's shift gears a little bit. We have a lot of kind of DIY guys that, um, you know, try to do everything there. And, and inside of a DIY situation, you have a big variety of equipment that's available. Some guys have skid loaders. Some guys have a pickaxe and a shovel. Um, Jay, um, obviously what if somebody could hire you to come in and do a big planning like this, but are trees as sensitive to, um, you know, specific equipment or if you got the, the sweat and the energy, can you do just as good with a, with a shovel? I absolutely can. We specialize, you know, well, at least in the fall in potted trees. So potted trees, a little more forgiving. Like we talked earlier about fall planting is best, you know, you get that potted tree in the ground, that root system goes to work all winter long, or at least when the temps aren't below freezing. So, you know, in springtime, we offer bare roots. So those are going to be a 
maybe a little easier to plant in the spring, soil soft and all that. But a shovel works great. I mean, okay. just you know, dig a hole and put them in there, and so so a potted tree. Help me understand this, Jay. So a potted tree in the fall, it's going to be like you know um, a pot that you would buy garden plants in or whatever, just a little bit bigger in size that has the root ball already in potting soil. Uh, what do you need to do to prepare that site? Do you have to? Do you need to spray it with herbicide first? Do you just dig it up and then put good dirt back in? What What's some techniques about planting a tree? And then also, I'll let you just keep rolling with it. What is the deal with tubes? What? How do I stake it? How do I protect it? Kind of walk us through the from the. I have a spot that I want a tree, all the way through. How do I protect the tree through um, after I plant it? Yeah, you know, uh, we offer all different sizes from one gallon to like 15 gallon pots. So, you know, the size of your hole, obviously determined by that. Uh, you know, it's not difficult by any means, put that in there, protect it. The herbicide, you know, if you know you have some places you want to plant trees that fall, maybe in the summertime, you come in there and spray with Roundup, kill those spots. So, as Don alluded to earlier, he had one day he went in there planted his trees so that's one thing you can do to prepare so uh you do that you come in plant your tree put your tube stake on it or a wire cage for your fruit trees so it's pretty simple you know if you have a half a dozen trees i mean you can be in and out an hour's time right don what do you got to protect for um obviously this tree has just been transplanted we know how deer browse especially fresh fresh growth tips of of anything that's around um i'm assuming young trees uh get nipped off a lot um i know in several cases i've seen on your farm where you'll put a wire fence probably what a five foot diameter around it four foot diameter until that tree is big enough to be sustainable on itself is is that because of deer brows yeah that's exactly what that's for the other thing you want to do is put some kind of wrap around the trunk to keep the rabbits from girdling those fruit trees. They'll, they'll gnaw on that bark, especially in the winter time, really bad. But, uh, you know, you can just use old field fence. If a lot of farms have old fence that's been rolled up and, you know, I'll make a five foot or six foot diameter ring with that field fence, uh, set a couple of steel fence posts next to that tree. And then when I put that fence around it, I raise that fence up about 18 inches off the ground to give it more height to keep the deer from just reaching over the top and eating that tree. Um, that also makes it easier to mow around when that fence is up. You can get your mower underneath that fence. It's 18 inches off the ground. So I, I tell when I was in the business, a, a tree business, I told people only buy as many trees as you plan on protecting. Yeah, if you plant 10 trees and you put cages around and protect them, or you plant a hundred trees with no protection at all, the guy that plants the 10 trees is going to have more trees in the end because the deer are just going to destroy the ones that aren't protected. So help me understand these tubes. And, and again, I'm asking questions to not only tee up dialogue, but also learn myself. Uh, tubes are probably used more for the smaller seedlings than they are for potted trees because potted trees will be branched out more. Is that a correct statement, Jay? Yes, that's correct. So what is the, what is the, the purpose of the tube? What is what is it? Does it stimulate growth, or is it just protect, or both? Yes, the idea is to give it a little bit of a greenhouse effect, protect it, 
and we usually use a 60-inch tall tube. The deer won't be able to browse the top of that. If you use a four-foot tube, you will lose the top of that tree, and it'll forever struggle. So we usually put a tube on and a nice wooden oak stake, and it'll last the length of time it needs, you know, so the tree can support itself. And the tubes, they have a little perforated slot down through them, so they will just burst off themselves. They won't restrict the growth as the tree grows. Okay, so is that tree is basically fighting to grow to, I guess, uh, kind of get above that. It's stimulating that vertical growth that we want. Um, we, 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 we see a lot of dialogue and a lot of people talking about what happens above ground. What do we need to happen below ground? You know, when we're talking to food plotters who want to plant clover or a throw and grow in the woods, um, open sections of woods, we have to remind food plotters that basically the size of that tree, the diameter of the tree above ground is about the size of the diameter below ground. And, you know, that's a huge competition you have for any product growing up underneath. As I'm transplanting um, uh, a tree, say with a, a pod or a seedling, what what is kind of, can can a tree grow too much out the top without developing the foundation? You know, it's it's very important for switchgrass and miscanthus. So you want it to work underground as much as you do above to get that foundation. I suppose it can, but. We typically plant potted trees, so in that scenario, it, I don't know that it really does. Don, he's been around trees a lot longer than I have, so he may want to add something there. Well, the one thing about the tubes is, is they're made for a hardwood tree, um, an oak, for example. They're, they're not made for evergreens. Uh, you're going to have to protect those with a wire cage. And they're also really not made for a fruit tree that has a shorter trunk. So, uh, you know, think of those tubes for for your oaks only. And, uh, you know, once they grow out the the top, then they they really branch out. And uh, that tube is there to protect that trunk from uh, bucks rubbing on them. Gotcha. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, my neighbor and I planted two small fruit trees back many, many years ago, and the things have just been a disaster. You know, I guess one of the other fears that I have with my lack of knowledge of fruit trees is, do we tr- do we prune them? Do we cut them back? You know, you go, I grew up, all of my family is from Northern Virginia, which is really famous uh, apple area with the White House Company. People remember White House apple juice and applesauce. That's where all that is in the Shenandoah Valley. And I remember going in and seeing them cut back these these fruit trees every year. When we're doing, obviously that's for apple production for commercial side, but for food plot trees, what does a landowner need to know going into it as far as choosing fruit trees? How much maintenance do we spray? Do we prune? What all has to be done with that? You shouldn't have to go in and do anything for a while. But after a few years, you'll see a lot of smaller branches. The tree will just, you know, be real heavy, a lot of small branches, and it'll produce a lot of apples, but they'll be real tiny. So if you prune that tree back occasionally, every couple of years, dial it back a little bit, you know, to, a, to one of the larger branches, take all the small growth out of it, you, you'll get better production. As far as insecticides, on a tree, I mean, yes, you can. Certain years, it'll help a lot. But the varieties we try to plant are a lot more disease-resistant than your typical backyard orchard. So they are, you know, bred to be left alone in the woods, and they'll do fine. 
Yeah, it's almost like uh, a um, a variety that might not be the right fit for a big commercial apple orchard to uh, make cider or apple juice, or but more along the lines of what we're trying to do, where you plant it, leave it alone, and develop and uh, feed the wildlife. Correct. All right. Well, um, I, I, we I know you can go in. You offer a lot of services uh, with Gingrich Tree Farms, but you also just sell trees to people who want them. What you said now you have, I believe you have some inventory right now, but now's a very popular time. Don just mentioned we need to get with your uh, grower. Um, the problem is a lot of people search online. We, we try to educate people on seed tags a lot with real world. What do we need to watch for if we're online looking to buy trees? And we'll focus on your specific varieties in a little bit. But just as a general rule of thumb, what are the things, if I live in Wisconsin or I live in Ohio, what do I need to watch for if I'm out shopping for trees about where that thing was originally from, what varieties, so that I know I'm picking the right product for my area? Well, what you find at a lot of home centers is trees that are coming out of the deep south. For example, uh, they're going to get a lot more growth, so that's a popular place to grow trees, which makes total sense. But if you are in northern Illinois, central Illinois, that's not always a great thing. The other thing is a potted a potted tree. We try to grow them in a root pruning, what they call an air pruning pot. Not to get into the weeds there, but you know it, it allows the roots to develop a lot better and not circle. For hardwood, that's a pretty big deal. Conifers, not so much, but especially hardwoods. Okay. Don, you've talked about it before. Um, growing trees in the south, you basically get two growing seasons out of one year, um, and that's why we're growing in the south. And just because it's grown in the south doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but the variety needs to be a northern variety, right? Yeah, it really depends on where the seed source comes from that the tree was grown from. Um, back when I had the tree business, I would gather seed here in central Illinois and ship it to Mississippi and have a uh, contract grown for me in Mississippi because they could get in one growing season what would take me two years here. Um, but, you know, another thing that people really need to look for is in, in these potted trees is a lot of times the the tree has been in that pot too long. And if you would pull that tree out of the pot, you're just going to see a root bound mess. So those trees, the, the roots have grown out to the edge of the pot, and then they start growing around the pot in a circular fashion. And, you know, I, I planted trees like this. Most of what I'm sharing, I learned the hard way. So I'm trying to save people from making the same mistakes. But, uh, you know, I, I planted potted trees that were root-bound before, and they, they did pretty well for a while. But then once that tree got some size on it, that root system was not branched outward to really anchor that tree to the ground. And I lost all kinds of uh, really nice apple trees when a good windstorm come along. And, uh, you know, the ground was soft from a lot of rain and it just blew them trees right over because that root system just grew in a circular fashion instead of branching outward. So if you're going to buy potted trees, you know, pull that tree out of the pot. And if it is root bound, um, just take a utility knife and slice that that whole root bound mess up and down to cut those roots and where it's cut, um, it'll start growing a new root outward. Um, 
So but, basically, but that's really important. To look basically, for. what happened is is the, the correct me if I'm wrong. The roots growing out, it hits the wall of the pot, basically J hooks and goes back into the inside. So when you plant it, those roots just continue to get intertwined with each other instead of branching out, making a good foundation where it can absorb more nutrients from a larger diameter soil. Is that is that what's going on? That, that's pretty much it, and not only the absorption of nutrients, but it just doesn't anchor that tree. And Jay, the, the really the ultimate pot, and Jay mentioned it just a minute ago, is is the root pruning pot, where the the pot is not solid plastic, but it's got holes in it or slots in it. So uh, that root grows out, and it tries to grow through that hole, and it stops growing because the root won't grow in the air and it kind of root prunes it. And so when it hits that hole and stops growing, the root will put on more branches or more more root further back, and they will try to, to branch outward. Well, you pull that tree out of that pot, and you just got many, many times more roots growing at an outward angle, and you, you stick those, those trees in the ground, and they will just far outdo a tree that's grown in a smooth-sided pot. Wow, that's a great tip. I, I guess um, anybody who's going to like a Home Depot or a big box store or a local nursery, a good tip there for people to look at when they see a tree that they might be interested that's in a pot. Then, Right. Okay. And Jay, I was just at Jay's this week, as I mentioned, uh, picking up a load of trees. They've got a lot of trees growing in those root maker pots. So uh, if you guys are wanting some trees for your projects to plant uh, you know, later this winter, even if you're going to do it, after the rut in December, I'd get with Jay and check out his inventory. Yeah, Jay, what what? Let's go ahead and talk about your inventory right now. And how do people get them? Can you what can you ship? What do people have to pick up? Because you know, I know you got trees going all over the place because you've donated tree packages for both years. We've done a Luster's Feet raffle, so you've supported the. Uh, the foundation that way, but I've seen where you've been able to ship some of these trees. So how does all that work? Yeah, most of the trees we have are, it's a little unhandy. They're a little too big to ship reasonably priced. So, but yeah, we do travel quite a bit. So I always work with a customer, try to get it to them uh, if I can do it, or maybe we'll even be able to, you know, arrange freight for them or if they want to come by and uh, pick them up themselves. That's, well, with the, that's the best way to do it for sure with the crews that you have going all around doing different projects i mean i just mentioned you're going to be here in northern kentucky i think very soon um uh, december know. we're doing that okay. job actually yep so oh. you, you know as much as you all are traveling around you, you there's possibility of you being able to deliver them too if you're in someone's local area they just have to give you a call that's right well, even though we're, this episode's talking about fall planting of trees, talk a little bit about the other services that you offer with your business. I know you uh, you have grown this thing to be, uh, you've built a beautiful new building, um, really expanded the business. Uh, talk a little bit about um, what other services that you guys have to offer throughout the year as it relates to habitat. Yeah, obviously the trees. We offer different varieties of apple trees, uh, oaks, and all that stuff. But uh, related to habitat, you know, springtime is extremely busy for us. So we do a lot of miscanthus planting, uh, put a lot of switchgrass in with a no-till drill. Uh, CRP projects, if you're in the Midwest, we do a lot of that, whether it's trees or pollinator programs. 
in the wintertime, we do TSI work. If someone needs it done, or they, they can handle why we do offer some of that. I know you've done big projects on both, I believe, Chris Yates and Brian Crafts, who donated the truck last year with Victory Chevrolet and Midwest Land Group. I believe you've done big projects for either one or both of them also, right? We have, yeah. I was hoping to win that truck, but I just buy mine. <laughs> uh, you're uh, you're one of the guys that's on the same uh, diesel package as uh, Don and I are, but you're the one, one of the ones that makes uh, Chris cringe a little bit with how many miles you put on your truck. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been trying to get another one out of him. He told me about two days ago, he said he doesn't have it yet. So I'm like, okay, I'm waiting. <laughs> I think he's been doing the inventory of all of us because he called uh, he called both Don and I this week asking how many miles are on the truck. So, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I know your your company is growing at a rapid pace, um, and you have a lot of people that's uh, good people that's on your team to help you. But uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they follow you? How do you uh, you know get those ideas sparking? Because at the end of the day. Most of the listeners to this podcast are going to be sitting in a tree stand watching deer walk across the field trying to think of ways that can make the property they're setting in better. And uh, you have a lot of experience that can help people with that. So when they're sitting there and they have an idea and they want to run it by you or talk about a product that's available, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can call the office 217-717-2534. That's probably the best way. Uh, we're always out in the field working, but uh, we do answer the phone. Uh, GingrichTreeFarm.com, that'll get you some information. So you can do a contact form on there if you can't reach us any other way. But uh, just we'll call you back if you leave us a message or we'll talk to you when you call. So if you're interested in trees this fall, or if you're interested in miscanthus being planted for you, switchgrass, TSI work, um, any of those services, make sure you get in touch with Jay's team. Uh, to get it on the radar because uh, it's like anything else. The earlier you know of projects, the better you can plan and and make a good game plan to do the best job at the best opportune time for each individual customer. Absolutely. All right. Well, number one, I appreciate the friendship. I, I appreciate the support of the podcast, but uh, on on a little bit simpler note, you have been one of the biggest supporters of uh, the Lester's Feet Foundation, not only being a, a, a donor from the tree business, but also on the leadership committee at Solid Rock Tra- Chapel, who partnered with us to do last year's raffle. Um, a big, big supporter of ours, and I can't thank you enough, both as a friend and a partner. Um, we, we can't uh, say enough about how proud we are to uh, to be associated with you. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, I feel the same way about you guys, and I'll do my best to uh, support what you guys are doing. I like it. Don, I want you to end this segment by, by talking about something that's probably the most important thing uh, when we decide that we do business with someone or uh, we promote someone, and that's the quality of people that are behind the organizations that we work with. And we've talked about Matthews. We've talked about other companies like Osseo on this, on this podcast, but they don't get much better than Jay. Now, uh, I've known Jay for several years. Him and I have gone to the same church for, I don't know, around 15 years now. When I started, uh, he was already going there. But, uh, you know, the Gingrich Tree Farm, 
he actually bought my my tree business years ago. Him and his wife Loretta um, bought Higgins Tree Farm. I converted it to uh, Gingrich Tree Farm, and he's done fantastic with it. It's probably at least tripled, maybe more than that, since he's bought it. And uh, you know, I just um, I, I just he's the kind of people, or him and his wife are the kind of people that we want to deal with, and. Uh, you know, besides the fact that they're top quality people, they're selling top notch nursery stock as well. Their, their trees are not the same stuff you're going to get down at the local hardware store or farm store or wherever. Um, much better quality. And uh, you're supporting a small business, a local small business when you deal with Gingrich Tree Farm. Uh, you're having issues, you got a phone number to call and, and ask questions that you don't get at the farm store. So I just encourage uh, everybody, if you're needing trees for your habitat work, uh, give Jay and Loretta a call. Well, Jay, um, you don't you don't probably know this story, but you had a very, very close tie to my hunting season one year. Do you know that? Oh, no, I do not. The day that you and Don signed the paperwork to sell the tree business was the day that I shot the 10-and-a-half-year-old on Don's farm because he had to get out of the blind to run down to sign the paperwork with you. And about 20 minutes after he got out of the stand, the deer walked out, so we didn't get it on video that day. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, isn't it, Don? Uh, yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah, <laughs> he hadn't even not know that. He, he had not even left the house yet and i said i'm just gonna sit here and wait and see if he walks out and where he goes to bed at so we know where to hunt tonight and it wasn't 20 minutes he hadn't even left the house yet and i'd shot him so i remember <laughs> that day very well <laughs> good deal well hey i appreciate the kind words and everything uh you guys are awesome to work with all right thanks for your help and uh please reach out to gingrich tree farms we'll post their information uh, on the screen above and for those listening um, please reach out jay give that number just one more time before we sign off 217-717-2534 okay thank you sir thank you thanks jay bye all right don well jay's about as good as it gets as far as a, a friend and a fellow christian man that um He's put God first in a lot of things, and his business is completely blown up and growing. And we continue to wish him the best as he uh, as he continues to expand his business. Yeah, just a perfect example of the kind of people we want to be dealing with. Yes, sir. All right, well, we're going to, because of the length of that segment, we're going to drop to uh, three listener-submitted questions. So we'll do this first one, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break for a Lester's Feet segment before we go to the second question. So I'm going to share the first question, and I think you're trying to get me fired up right out of the gate with the first question that you picked <laughs> for tonight. But um, I, I'm I'm glad that um, I'm going to do the Lester's Feet segment, so i got to keep a level head here before I start talking about that. <laughs> well, I... I... <laughs> I'm not sure if, if this person uh, is trying to poke the bear or if it's a serious question, but I picked it anyway because I'm going I want to answer it. It'll uh, be it the same from... answer regardless. So what's it yeah. matter? What is yeah. intention? I don't care what his intention is. It's the same answer. Brian Woodward from Wheatfield, Indiana, sends this question. It says this question is for Don. You have stated on several occasions that a habitat analysis 
done off an aerial view is a waste of money. That is, you must have boots on the ground to appreciate the property and its potential. You also said that you will be evaluating each habitat project done by your dream team. You're doing this without ever stepping foot on the property. Explain why your review is any better than someone doing a plan based on an aerial view. And if it is because each team member will be relaying to you what they observed while on the property for a few hours, why do you think that their description is any better than the person who owns the property and has spent years, if not decades there? Well, Brian, I think, first of all, you totally don't understand the process. These guys that are going out and and uh, putting boots on the ground on the property, they're not coming back and relaying the information to me, and then I'm taking their information and putting it on a plan. These guys are creating the plan. They are doing the plan. The only thing that I'm doing is I'm reviewing that plan before it gets sent to the client, and if I see something that jumps out at me, I'm going to challenge the consultant that visited that property and say, hey, why did you do this? Why didn't you put this food plot here instead of there? How is, how is this uh, client going to access stand number three or, you know, something like that? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to challenge the consultants on the dream team um, with things that appear on, on that aerial. And you know what? I expect them to have a, a good answer every time. They're going to see things on their tour that I just cannot see on that aerial. And my challenge to them is, is basically to keep them on their toes, but also to ensure that the client um, gets the best plan that they can. If you think that you can get a great plan from somebody marking an aerial, well, go ahead and spend your money doing that. I'm just here to tell you that I would not waste my money doing such a thing. If you just needed somebody to go tour the property and document it and send it to you for a plan, you would, you could bring in anybody and I'm not putting, I'm on the list and I probably shouldn't be cause I can't even, I don't even know when to stand up when a freaking buck is walking across the field at me. I feel like an idiot, but, <laughs> but we wouldn't need Mark Luster and Bobby Worthington and Wes Delks who have all been, very experienced in their own ways and bring something different to the table. Um, it, I think he's thinking, I think Brian's thinking that we just go out as like a site evaluator and then give it to you to put the plan together. And, and I think it's just a simple mis misunderstanding of, of, and maybe he's just teeing it up for us to explain it better. Um, there is going to be some things like if, if, if I'm doing something that requires say a pollinator CRP program, that on my plan, I'll mark that area and say, we need bedding here. And I can document that and then get your advice for what species or tree. We, we just had the, the document or the segment with Jay Gingrich. What trees do we recommend here? What varieties based on that, that your experience would add input into that? And that's part of this total package of involving you versus me just handing you the plan after I leave. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a miscommunication. I don't think he's necessarily being malicious or anything with his intent, but, um, I think it's, I think it's much, uh, the process works a lot different than what he's assuming with his question. Right. And we appreciate your question, Brian. Hope you have a great hunting season. Yep. Um, so let's take a quick break. Uh, Matthews is obviously our partner on the archery side. Have you gotten your new bow yet, by the way? 
I did get my new Matthews Ooh. bow. So Don's got a new got Matthews a, bow. I got he's not allowed arrows. to show. You're not allowed to show pictures of it. So you're nope. on the you're on the the small list of people that is uh, testing and prototyping next year's Matthews bow. So you'll be releasing that information in uh, probably November. I think is when that comes out. Uh, so yeah, Don's on the short exactly list. Day, but... So if you see a picture of Don with the wood in the woods uh, with his bow, it's going to be blurred, so you can't see any of the uh, design of the bow. Um, and then I'm shooting, I'm shooting the latest uh, VX3. But Matthews gave up their uh, segment of the podcast every week so that we could talk about Lester's feet. And I, I decided to do something a little bit different this week, Don, and um, I don't want to turn this into a church service, but like you said, we both had a really rough week, and I think about these families that are dealing with these, you know, uh, kids that are sick, and my mom had a pretty big scare this week, too. Um, as as people know, well, we've asked for prayers. Uh, mom ended up having a couple stints put in with some heart problems that she's been trying to deal with. And uh, my family is out of town on fall break. So this morning I went up and sat with mom at church today while dad preached. So I don't get a chance to go to church with them very often. It's about a little, almost an hour away. So I got up early this morning and went up and sat in church. And I sat there and my dad was starting a new series of messages. My dad's a senior minister at the Glen Estee Church of Christ. And I have his. I went up and stole his uh, sermon off the pulpit today because I thought it was so fitting, not only for the week that we've had, but also um, people ask a lot how they can help with Lester's feet, and I think this is just God working and using my dad's sermon on something that I needed to hear today, and his his series is can and the sermon was called. Can historic Christianity stand up? And today's segment was to our doubt, meaning the doubt Christians have. You know, we all go to, you know, believe in Christ, and but there's still doubts that we have. And the passage, the, the story that he centered this around was out of Mark 9. And for those who don't know uh, that specific chapter very well, this is the, the dad who had a child that was demon-possessed his whole life. And Jesus came to the area and there's this big, you know, scuffle and bunch of commotion. And Jesus asked, what's going on? And this dad, I can feel for this dad because he's so many, he's like so many of our Lester's feet family. You know, he's, he's like, my son's sick. He's like, uh, you know, I, we can't fix him. We've tried all these things. I've brought my son to you. And uh, I, I'm not going to go into the whole manuscript of it, but basically he approached jesus and he's just torn up saying you know um i brought my son to you in verse 17 and, and jesus looks at him and says bring the boy to me and when the spirit the demon saw jesus he threw the boy into this fit of rage and jesus said how long has this child been this way and his dad said um uh, or is the since childhood and the dad said something that was so pivotal in this whole story. His dad looked at Jesus and said, but if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, question mark. He's looking at Christ and saying, asking the question, can you do anything? What You might not even be able to. And Jesus turns around and is like, 
facepalm to this guy. You know, he's like, if he's like, what do you mean? If, you, you know, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. are you really asking me this question? Don't you know who I am? And G- but Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. And, and what I thought about isn't necessarily this doubt that this dad had that Jesus, you know, that, that there was, uh, a fix with Christ in this situation, but it was the follow-up segment that the dad had that was just stuck out to me as we're talking about the humility that we had to show this week instead of jumping back up this guy's throat or um, other things that we've dealt with. The dad looks back and says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How 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 pivotal pivotal is is that in our life it's like yes i acknowledge i believe i get it but i'm still struggling help me and and i just think that as as we're navigating these struggles and these attacks we're going to try to stay humble if if you're wanting to help lester's feet this this story in itself is such a huge encouragement for the people who are dealing with sick children to put themselves in this guy's because they're doubting it they're saying you know, is is my kid sick because of something I did? Is it you know in my life? Is my kid being punished for something that I did? Um, share this story if you really want to help find a way to minister. Talk about Mark chapter nine, especially around verses seventeen, with a family that has a a tragedy going on because they're feeling that doubt in their head about why they're doing it, and and then come back to the whole point. It's all things are possible. So uh, my dad closed the sermon today with this pivotal thing that I thought was so cool. You should never doubt that God can do anything. We just need to pray that he will. Mm-hmm. So so it's na- it's natural for us as humans to have doubt. It's natural for us to have fears. It's natural for us to basically question. But the power of God if if we have a relationship with him is something that we can lean on and no matter what your struggle is there should never be a single doubt but the humility this guy this dad said back to jesus was i do believe help me overcome my unbelief and uh not many people would humble themselves like that and say yeah i'm struggling here so don and i neither one are perfect so I'm going to try actually to get the the audio version of this and probably put on the Lester's feet because I, I truly believe that that sermon is a uh, is a is a really good uh, witness for the people who are dealing with sick children. And after you were talking about your friend that called you and, you know, all that stuff that happened in his life, um, I'm sure that through time he's shown doubt um, is why is this stuff happening to us? So. Mm-hmm. Stay the course, keep priorities, and uh, we're going to try to stay as humble as we can. But I just thought I would share that with everybody today. Great message. All right, so let's move on to question number two. Well, the next question comes from Andrew Meyer from Lee Summit, Missouri. He says, hey, Don, my name is Andrew Meyer, a 16-year-old from northern Missouri. I just wanted to ask you about how you go about exiting stands, especially those on food sources in the evenings. When you have lots of deer feeding in front of you, whether in a tower blind or tree stand, 
What techniques or tactics do you use to escape undetected? Also, I know you don't mind if you get pictures of bucks at night, but as far as hunting outside the rut, I don't want to be too intrusive with hunting the timber or mornings, but the two bigger bucks I am targeting have been inconsistent and nocturnal on the food sources. Where are you mainly setting up your stand locations for this time of year? And do you hunt different types of areas and habitat features during the rut, or are you just hunting your more top-notch high percentage stands in the same types of habitat features? Well, Andrew, the reason I selected your question is because it's a question I get a lot. But and this I is mean, a 16-year-old kid asking this. Right. This is a, right. I, I commend Andrew because he's thinking at a level that most experienced long-term deer hunters aren't at yet. So congrats to you, Andrew. Yep. I, and I wanted others to hear the answer because uh, maybe it'll cut down on some of the questions I get. And uh, so how do I exit a stand when there's deer around in the, in the evening? Uh, there, there's a lot of different things I've tried over the years. I've, I've howled like a coyote and sometimes um, that will chase the deer off. I've sat there in my stand, you know, an hour or more past last shooting light just to let the deer clear. I've had people, I, I, you know, I've used my cell phone to text my wife or I think Terry might've picked me up in a stand a couple times on a, on a truck or a four wheeler or something. Um, you know, have someone come in and as they, they're coming in on a piece of equipment or a motorized vehicle, they're going to chase the deer off and allow you to get out of your tree undetected. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, I want to commend you for recognizing the need to get out of your stand without spooking deer. I think there's a lot of novice deer hunters that just bail out and chase the deer off. And you're not going to get away with that very many times. And especially with a mature buck. So, uh, there's really a no good answer um, other than to, to try these things if possible. And like I said, maybe you got to just sit there and wait for those deer to move off an hour or so after dark, uh, whatever it takes. Um, the other question was about uh, tree stand locations for this time of year. Um, food sources are good as long as it's deer that are not pressured whatsoever. Uh, the situation Terry described earlier where these deer are coming out on the alfalfa field. Well, it's a, a farm that only Terry's hunting. Now it's not a big farm, but those deer have experienced no pressure on that alfalfa field. And, and that's why it works. If you are in a more heavily hunted area, if you're sharing a property with other people, you're on public land or whatever, then you got to try something different. You need to be on that transition zone between the bedding and the food. And the closer you can be to the bedding cover, the better off you're going to be. Uh, however, you know, the, the trick there can often be getting into that stand because the deer are bedded there. Um, so you got to be able to slip into that stand without those deer bedded close by detecting you. And, and in that regards, I'll say that more than once I've climbed up into a stand and pulled my bow up and looked around and right there within 30 yards of my stand, I see the antlers of a bedded buck in the brush around my stand. Um, it's a whole lot easier to do that early in the season when all the, you know, the green leaves and foliage is, is on. It's also a lot easier to do it on a windy day. Uh, when the wind's blowing tree branches and everything and making noise, you can slip into your tree stand a whole lot easier uh, that way. But uh, I, I guess that's about the best I can do.
um, on that question, Terry. The the level of the question is really when you find that balance on your property, that's the secret sauce. That's what we're talking about. Um, you can find mature bucks in a lot of places that aren't uh, pressured, but the minute you go in and out, you're risking that. And, you know, all these techniques that we talked about, you know, what Don just said about driving somebody in on a piece of equipment, uh, howling like a coyote. Um, I've set a Fox pro wireless, uh, predator call turned on, on the fence post about 65 yards away from my tree stand. And just in case when I walk in and if something's out there, I can blow them out with it, but I don't want to do that every single night I hunt. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. those things are kind of the one-off things. And I think it really gets down to Andrew. Uh, the lesson that I had to learn is don't over hunt a spot and go in when your opportunity is right to kill a deer. And like tonight, for example, um, I'm not hunting because the wind's just not right for me to walk in and not blow my scent into the bedding area. So, um, minimize the times you do it and have a plan in case it is and then you'll find you'll find that you can do things with your property if you're able to manage it whether it's corn miscanthus uh different ways that you can create access to get in and out but now you, now you're understanding a little bit better about why don and i hunt the perimeter giving the middle to to the deer and that we can we can kind of slip in from the sides and not go into the core so He's thinking at yeah. a different level than most, most hunters are. So I commend him for that. If he's already getting to that point. Yeah. You can read the passion right in that, uh, that submission that he sent. And, you know, Terry, before we move on to the next question, I got another topic I want to bring up. I forgot to even mention this to you. Oh, surprising. I yeah. I, I might even, you know, somebody sent me something this week and they wanted to, well, actually, it was about the podcast. I got there was all kinds of submitted questions about that podcast, and the guy bashing me. Um, and, and somebody put on there, "I'm hoping this gets you riled up because we we all like that, and we haven't heard that for a while. <laughs> we want to hear one of your rants." Um, sorry that to, to disappoint you, but I'm not going to get on a rant about that. <laughs> We're just a constant a disappointment. <laughs> We're a constant disappointment, people. Well. I'm going to get on a rant here for a little bit. <laughs> I, I had someone this week, the, the amount of correspondence that I get and Terry gets too, is just through the roof. And, and I mean, I'm talking text, phone calls, um, social media messages, emails, you name it. And, and I'm talking, I, I bet over a hundred a day. And Easy. someone this week, I, someone sent me something early this week and it was when I was dealing with one of them negative issues and I didn't reply right away. I, I seen the message and I, I had a whole bunch of them at once and I, I skimmed through them and I didn't reply to this person. And a, a few days later, they, re, they sent me another message and they raked me over the coals, basically with a bad attitude telling me that they heard that I would respond to everybody and blah, blah, blah. I'm not what I portray myself to be and, and just basically blasted me. And I, I told that person, I said, you know what? You need to unfollow me right now because I've got <laughs> no use for your attitude. And then I left at that. 
folks, I, I, I promise you, I'm trying my very best to be cordial to everyone. If you, if you send something to me and you get a one or two word answer, it's not because I don't appreciate you. It's because I just don't have time. And, uh, that one really got me fired up. It, it was sent at a bad time. <laughs> and when I seen it for the second time, it was also not very good timing. And I just told the person to quit following me. Yeah, I, I just had no use for the attitude. It's funny the <laughs> amount of questions I get for you because they don't want to bother you about it. So they bother me about it. And, uh, and I don't mean the bother in a negative way. It's just people are looking for advice, information, and um, we appreciate it. But in full transparency, it's getting to the point that Don and I are going to have to really take a step back and evaluate. We might have to hire someone just to handle our social media and our messages because, I mean, it's it's we don't want to lose that personal touch with everyone. But there's a reason why other people that are in the public eye don't answer their stuff. And we, we're trying to do it. And now I get why they can't. It's it's just impossible. And if we don't answer, we get in trouble. If we're short, we get in trouble. And um, I, I try to be a good husband and father, and I'm not real good at it. But um, my wife gets a little bit aggravated when I'm still answering messages laying in bed at 1.30 in the morning. And um, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and we don't want people to stop, you know, that's not, that's not the reason that I even brought this up. It's just that I, I want you to understand it, it might not, it might take a few days to get a reply. And, and I don't re even mind you re reminding me if you, if it's been a week and you haven't got a reply, I don't remind, mind you reminding me, just do not come with an attitude. <laughs> do not come with an insulting, bad attitude. Because you have no idea, you know, what all we're dealing with. Well, it's, it's, we have to give first priority to our consulting clients and masterclass clients. Cause we, we actually, right. uh, we, we, when, when we have you as a customer for the Higgins outdoor side, we save your number in our phone that when it pops up, we know that it's someone from the classes because that's a commitment that we have for our customers that that trust us with their property. And that has to be our first priority because that's that's our job. That's what we're being right. hired to Absolutely. do. And and those are those are Johnny on the spot. Everything else we try to get to when we can. But I'm I'm really dreading that that next step that we're going to have to be in. And that is, and my daughter helps me with my social media some. And, but when, when she does it, she'll disclose that at the beginning and say, Hey, this is, you know, I'm helping dad with this social media today. This is where you can find the answer or I'll relay the message, but I won't lie. There's sometimes that social or um, Lester's feet applications come in and I know that they're from, you know, a podcast listener or whatever, and they leave the number to call back, uh, those automatically go to one of the other board members because when we deal with families and stuff, I, we need to separate talking deer hunting from that and get to the facts. So I don't even get assigned the ones that, that come out of here, but it is again, we're not going to please everybody, buddy. It's, it's simple as that. We're doing our best folks. And we appreciate the support.
Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com meet. Last question of the night. Okay, this one comes from Paul Gould from Hermantown, Minnesota. He says, hello, Don and Terry. I love your podcast and I'm learning a ton. Keep up the Lord's work. When you report about Lester's feet, it fills my heart with gratitude that God saw fit to bless my wife and I with three healthy kids to follow in my footsteps. I'm glad you cut through all the BS in the hunting industry. I hunt a property that holds several mature bucks that I get trail cam picks of, but I have had a hard time closing the deal on these bucks. When you guys get a pick of a target buck, how do you go about patterning them and knowing what tree you are going to kill him out of? Appreciate any insight. Um, well, Paul, you know, more than anything, um, patterning a buck also involves patterning a property. So. Uh, the properties I've hunt, most of them I've hunted for, for many years. And if a mature buck that I want to target shows up on one of those properties, I've already, I already know where to kill him at the, the stands that I've got set. I can kill any mature buck that's on that property um, for the most part. So just because a new buck comes along, doesn't mean I start from scratch and I've got to scrap all my stand locations and, and start over. Um, what I need to do with an individual buck is determine what properties he spends his daylight hours on. And, and once I know that I can look at a property and know where to kill the deer on that property, but I, I just need to know where he's spending his daylight hours or a lot of them, a lot of his daylight hours. And, uh, w when I know that I can go on that property and I can pick the stand locations and. A lot of it's based on terrain um, where um, it's pinched down, but also you got to remember, and, and I think this is the big one that a lot of people miss is you, you got to realize that a mature buck uses his nose when he travels. He does just doesn't waltz through a spot because it's convenient. He waltzes through a spot because it's convenient and he has a wind advantage. And if he doesn't have the wind advantage, all else is really thrown out the window because he's probably not walking through on the day you're hunting. You got to give him the wind advantage and in, in, in combination with the terrain features that funnel him down. And, and when those two things come together, you should be able to kill any buck on that property. I'm not saying you can go out on one given day and do it, but over the course of a season, you should be able to get him killed. So, you know, part of it's the individual buck and part of it's the properties that he stays on. Yeah, I think, um, I think that there's always ways, um, we've both posted pictures about what we've done to different properties and given ideas at the Whitetail Master Academy that you have, uh, released on October 1st is a perfect example of illustrating this. You know, it's real easy for us to comment about it and very difficult for the listeners to understand it. 
but with the uh, 3D animation and aerial and drone footages that that Steve Shields was able to capture for you, I think it'll make a whole lot more sense. Um, there's things that you can always do on a property. I mean, I've talked about the runway and the corn. I've talked about scrape funnels, uh, rope scrapes, all these different things um, to where you can build terrain features when you don't have the topography um, to neck, neck the deer down. And then it's a decision of when to hunt it. And when all of that clicks together is when we say that we can kill those bucks. I mean, literally uh, and it's not bragging it's just a testament to how much i've tried to understand your a lot of your techniques here in kentucky being able to shoot on a small farm as i have three different bucks over five years old every night i've hunted except for one there's two reasons for that i haven't hunted that much only when the only when the conditions are perfect and the the spots that i'm in i'm able to get in and out without pressure and be in the right area so it comes yeah. it's not a it's not a light switch but i think the best tool that you have and i didn't mean for this to be a tee up an advertisement of your whitetail master academy i don't have a thing to do with that project but that's one of the the things that's low-hanging fruit for subscribers to be able to really understand your setups and how you go about setting up these properties for this exact question yeah, and there, there's actually a section on there on tree stands, tree stand strategy. And basically, we've dissected some of my very tree stands where I've shot some of my better bucks. And we're, we're showing the access from the air, how I'm accessing, what the wind is and all that. But, you know, in my experience with, with hundreds of clients, it, it, it's my opinion that most deer hunters are able to pick out a good stand site where they fall short is on access and wind access and wind is is key you can have the best stand site in the entire woods but if you don't access it right and you hunt it with the wrong wind you're, you're not going to be successful and that was one of the reasons for doing the whitetail master academy is i get so many questions on access and on wind direction how to play the wind and by showing a, a property from the air, from showing exactly where that stand is at, showing exactly the path those deer are taking through animation, showing the access path and, and the wind and how that wind is allowing that access. And then once you get in that stand, how that same wind direction is making that buck feel comfortable and allowing him to be on his feet in daylight. Um, you're not expecting him to commit suicide you're basically showing how he's playing the wind and how you are using that against him to, to get a shot at him. So, uh, that, that was a great tee up Terry for, for, uh, that part of the, the whitetail master Academy. And, um, uh, for anybody listening, uh, we went live with it yesterday, October 1st. So, uh, just go to whitetailmasteracademy.com and there's, there's a free, um, sample video in each category to give you kind of a feel. There's also uh, some written blogs um, that I've put on there as well, but whitetailmasteracademy.com. Do you want to take your deer hunting success to the next level? Do you want to take your hunting property to the ultimate level? Don Higgins Whitetail Master Academy is a one-of-a-kind source of cutting-edge information 
to help whitetail hunters and land managers become more successful. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the first 500 subscribers, we're going to do a random drawing and the winner of that is going to be yours and my personal guest at a master uh, master class this fall um, and be on the podcast with us, I believe. Yeah, that's in March. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we're close to 500 right now, may even be at 500. But once we hit 500, uh, we're going to have a drawing for that. All right. Well, maybe we'll I don't know how you're going to do that. We'll let people know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just, um, when it all clicks, you become so much more confident in what the deer is going to do that it's a whole lot easier to make the decision. I'm not going to hunt tonight, or I'm going to pass that deer and not the right situation. Um, there's a difference between being confident and, and cocky. And when you finally get it to where it clicks and you have a property set up, it's not as hard to make that decision as I don't need to hunt tonight because you, you believe it so much. And, um, it, it's been a long journey for, for me to get there, but I'm telling you about six, seven years ago, when it finally really clicked, the amount of matured buck sightings you have is just, it's, it's, it goes up to exponentially. Right. You'll, you'll but start it takes, three, it takes a lot more work in the off times. season. It takes a lot more work in the off season. You're working oh, more no in the off season it. than you are hunting. No doubt about it. But your your buck sightings will definitely triple or quadruple from one season to the next when you when it all comes together and you understand. And that's what we're, we're hoping these videos do. It helps helps everything click in somebody's head. And oh, now I get it. Now I understand. I've already got the good stand location, but I was accessing it wrong or I was using the wrong wind. I need to use this wind. And, you know, I, I just love hearing other people's success um, when they give me a little bit of credit, like, Hey, I read a magazine article you wrote one time and it helped me kill this buck. Or, you know, I watched one of your YouTube videos and because of something I learned there, I shot this buck. And when those start rolling in, that's really gratifying um, for me. The first time I saw you in a tree saddle with a sleeveless shirt and a crossbow, <laughs> it made me a better hunter, Don. Yeah, well, I don't think that day's happened yet. <laughs> you're, I guess you're not a good hunter yet because you ain't never seen that. <laughs> you're just, you're holding people back. That's the, that's the new thing is, Don, you're, you're holding people back. Well, if I'm holding anybody back, I apologize. I'm going to cut you loose right now. You're going to have the best season of your life. What'd you say? What'd you say to that guy? Unfollow me now. I did. I had to, and I don't even know if it was a guy or a girl, really. I think his name was Jamie and I'm not sure if it was a guy or a girl. It doesn't really matter, but, uh, the, the timing of their message was just terrible after all I'd been through last week. Wrong place, wrong time, people. Um, yep. There's been many times where Don and I have had to talk each other off the ledge, and um, I'm just glad we have that. I'm glad we have you that. Talk me off the ledge. Hey, I'm telling you, you it was so bad that I didn't even tell him until tonight that I had a shot at that buck and screwed up. He didn't even know that, folks, until tonight. Um, that's how bad of a week he had. I didn't even tell him about it because I think he knows how much I want to kill this deer. 
I've never felt so low the day before season open. Usually, you know, you're full of anticipation and excitement. Season opens tomorrow. This year, I was like, I'm ready for season to be over. I'm tired of dealing and you with this have, garbage. And you have giant bucks that you know where they're at and still and that way. And I've never sat in a tree yet. So, in fact, I don't even know if I'm going to hunt this week. Yeah. I have to look at the weather. Um, like I said, I'm I'm traveling up to New York for a few days, and if the weather is good, uh, if you're not hunting, I know a place that I might need some help on this coming weekend. I'll I'll uh, uh, solicit your services because uh, we got pictures of a really good one that we might need to get our heads together on some access on on a certain property that I'm new to. So. If you're not hunting you might be piling around with me all weekend next weekend well, i can probably handle that all right yeah um folks in all seriousness I, I appreciate your patience um again by no means are we perfect we're human uh, we appreciate your support and appreciate your patience as as we try to navigate us trying to do this platform the right way that we think not only glorifies god but also makes the hunting community proud even if it sacrifices our so-called status in the hunting industry, which Don and I really don't care about. So um, it, it wouldn't be possible without your all's positive encouragement. And I want to tell you the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments that we got after making that statement this week uh, means more than anybody ever knows to both of us. So we, uh, we truly covet that. Well said, Terry, the, uh, you know, the good people that, that reach out to us and whether it's asking a question or offering encouragement is why we do this. Um, you know, we want to be servants of not only God, but of, of our fellow man, our fellow deer hunters. And, uh, you know, it's almost our, uh, um, our mission, if you will, to help others. Our ministry is helping others. So, um, I don't want anybody to take my earlier comments the wrong way and, and think that I want you to stop contacting Terry and I, that's not it at all. It's just, I I'm asking for a little bit of patience. Um, don't, don't give me some attitude that <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Cause I didn't answer your question the first day I seen it. Don's um, thumbs anyway. do not work as fast as a fourth grade girl. So he, he can't no, type that fast on this phone. <laughs> I'm lucky to see my phone, let alone type on it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll, we'll touch base with everybody next week. Hey, if I come to Illinois, we can do the podcast in person live. So, uh, we'll keep hey, we everybody probably get a group together to ask questions. Let's, uh, yeah, let's see what happens, what the weather forecast is. And, uh, all you people that are local. We I haven't seen um the mailman lately. I see him. I'll tell you what, I, I got the best mailman in the entire world. I, I I live up a quarter mile lane and instead of taking my packages down to the mailbox, I just text this guy and he picks them up in my garage. I mean I just set them right there in the garage and, and and he comes and picks them up. I'm telling you, there's not a better mailman in the entire world. Well, hopefully he's wearing a Chasing Giants hat that you gave him. He should be. All right. I gave him a real world hat, too. I, I leave yeah. little things for him once in a while. <laughs> on the stack well, of if, if I come up, all you locals that are up there around uh, Don's, uh, yeah, if I come up, maybe we'll do a podcast, what, Saturday night, maybe? 
Yeah, that'd be the best time because. Well, um, it, we we have to be careful of that because if I'm hunting, if I'm hunting an hour and a half away, I'm not sure if that's going to work. So we'll have to, we'll let everybody know if we do it. We'll just leave it at that. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks, everybody. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.